Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. you. That was uh, totally unexpected. I did not pay Hugh $5 to say that before, <laughs> before I came up here and preached. And actually, I remember that day like it was yesterday. So just a quick background, because I know you, you guys don't know me. Um, but I grew up in Chicago, and I grew up in a, a very um, kind of conservative, like more ritualistic uh, Orthodox church. And um, oddly enough, in the church, we never really spoke about Jesus and definitely not about the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. You do not talk about the Holy Spirit, you know. <laughs> We would have this reverence for God the Father, which was amazing, that reverence, but um, I uh, ended up looking for a, a new church when I was, uh, like, you know, in my early 20s, and I went to 16 different churches all across Chicago, you know, um, all different kinds of churches, Baptist and Catholic and Pentecostal and uh, Lutheran and uh, big mega churches and smaller churches and everything like that, and I remember that day that I came first and he was preaching, and I, I don't remember what he preached about. I got to be honest. Okay, it was 15 years ago. It was like 15 or so years, years ago. But I do remember the presence of the Holy Spirit. I remember this presence of the Spirit there. And Hugh may have been worried that I wouldn't come back, but I did. I came back then, and we had the privilege of serving together on an eldership um, team for many years. And I, I saw um, how Hugh and Vanessa led the church, too. And don't worry, I have some juicy stories for you guys. <laughs> so just stay tuned, okay? So please pay attention because it's coming. It's coming. Um, and it's funny that Hugh brought that up because actually, as I was coming to, to um, you know, share a word today, I had a completely different sermon prepared. And like two days ago, God was like, no, 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 you need to share on this and share about this. And I was like, really? It's like two days? We're going we're gonna to do this now? And God was like, yes, you're going to do this now. And um, so I, uh, I was telling Toby and Diamond, uh, we had, had dinner with them a couple nights ago, that I'm kind of like a duck on water where, like, it seems so calm on the surface, but underneath it's, like, paddling, like, furiously. And uh, so that's, that's how I'm. So if my lip quivers, if my voice cracks, please be, be patient and, and kind to me. Uh, but, you know, one of the great things is that, as I read in Scripture, actually Paul had the same feeling when he was preaching to the churches. In 1 Corinthians 2, um, verse 2 to 4, Paul said that I came to you in weakness and fearfully, that I endeavor to know nothing but Jesus as Lord. And I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And so that's my prayer for you today. In fact, dear Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, that today, as we feel your presence in worship and even with the warm fellowship of one another, I pray that today we would feel your closeness, your nearness. There would be a demonstration of the Spirit's power and of the revelation that you bring would settle in our hearts, minds, and souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you get to know me, um, you know, Hugh was mentioning that uh, I have my wonderful wife, Sheetal, over there. And uh, Sheetal has helped me, actually, in a lot of, lot of different ways. I remember growing up, um, I was, you know, an immigrant kid. So I came to the States, um, uh, actually, from Africa. My parents were teachers in uh, Nigeria. And I came here when I was, uh, like, three to four or so. 
And I remember growing up and seeing my parents working two, two different jobs, and my dad would drive like an extra five miles to get to a gas station that was like one or two cents cheaper. And then I was like, but dad, like, doesn't that, aren't you? He's like, no, no, don't, don't. It makes sense, kid, it makes sense. And so I would like watch that. And so when we got married, I would start doing those kinds of things. And she was like, you're, you're like wasting more money doing this than, than not. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I did have a feeling that that was the case. And I still remember the, the, the richest moment that I ever felt was when I was in my early 20s and I went to a restaurant and the waiter came up to me and was like, um, would you like a drink? And I reflexively said no, because growing up you'd never get a drink at a, at a restaurant, you know? And then I was like, actually, yes, I will. I'll have a Sprite. And uh, the, the waiter was like, okay, sure, yeah, no problem. And I, I remember drinking that, it was like the sweetest, most delicious Sprite I'd ever tasted. In fact, as I like, think back and remember that day, like I'm pretty sure I was wearing like a top hat and a monocle, you know? And then I was like, you know, I don't own a top hat or a monocle, but like I'm positive that I was wearing that at the time. So it was, um, it was just amazing the things that like make you feel rich. But Sheetal has like stretched my mind and helped me. Because she, she has this, very similar to Vanessa, in fact, she has this abundance mindset. She's like, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Of course he'll provide this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, he's going to provide this. He's going to provide it. Yeah, it's amazing. And so, and so he knows what I'm talking about. He knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, so that's me. That's a little, little story uh, about me. But what I felt him... him uh, sharing to share with you is, um, is just a revelation about leadership and eldership in the church. Now, I, I don't have a conflict of interest. I'm not an elder in this church, so I can give it to you straight, right? I don't have anything to benefit directly from, you know, anything I t- tell you. And so I can come to you and actually just speak the truth and allow the spirit to kind of reconcile that. And what's interesting is, is that I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know, just like um, I had had one perspective because of the way I grew up with my parents, I think we all have perspectives that we take with us. Like, whether we learned it from our, our parents or society or whatever, we have ideas about what leadership is, what it, it isn't. We watch things on the news, and we believe that, hey, this is how things should be. And I, when I kind of looked at my, my thoughts in growing up, I had this feeling that, Leaders should be, like, perfect. Leaders needed to do everything exactly right, and I'm here to judge them and be like, how perfect are you? Are you really that perfect? And when invariably they would mess up or screw something up or do whatever, I'd be like, I knew they weren't perfect. I knew it. And it would kind of erode my trust for leadership a little bit more. And the next time I was faced with a leader, I would start with suspicion and kind of just that was my frame of reference. And I realized, like, when I watch the news, like, we're kind of surrounded by that. We hear that over and over in our faces, and it's like a reinforcing kind of thing. But that's not actually a biblical concept. That's how we grew up. That's the culture that we live in. And so we're going to talk about what the world looks like. And what, not what the world looks like, but what the Bible tells us. And what the Spirit would reveal to us. And to think about what's the threat that leadership faces. I think we've seen that in churches in Chicago. We've seen... Um, a spiritual attack on the leaders in different churches, and um, how do we position ourselves in that? So we're going to have just very, like, three very simple, very easy points. This is um, this going to be, why do we have elders? And kind of the sub-point in that is, whose idea is this? Whose idea is this eldership idea? Is this Hugh's idea? Did Hugh come up with this eldership idea? Did I come up with this? Was it the guy down the street? No. No, this is God's idea, and we're going to talk about whose idea is this, and then what do elders do? 
What do they even do? What function do they serve? Why do we need them? And then after we talk about that, we're going to talk about how do we then relate to leadership and, and eldership. So two simple points, and then we're going to go into the ordination of the bakers, which is going to be really exciting. So just three simple steps. Think of it, that's probably like what, like maybe eight TikTok videos lengthwise <laughs> or whatever like that. So, so if you find yourself like getting lost to TikTok video number four, be like, there's only four more TikTok videos. I can do, you can do eight TikTok videos in your sleep, right? I mean, that's, it's going to be so simple. Okay, so first video, okay, is going to be whose idea was this? Who came up with this idea? Now, the Bible says that actually it's God's idea. So in Acts 20, and we're going to go through Acts 20, so I won't kind of read the whole verse right now, but Acts 20, uh, Paul, when talking to elders of the church at Ephesus, he says, you were chosen by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit chose the elders in the church of Ephesus that Paul planted, okay? Then in Hebrews 5, actually, I'm going to read Hebrews 5 because it's just so good. It wasn't, this is not in my notes, but this is going to be so good. So Hebrews 5, it says, for every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. It's amazing that the, the standard that Scripture puts to leaders is that we are all weak, that we all struggle, that just because they're chosen to lead, it's not because they're perfect. The Bible and God knows that we're all beset with weakness. And no one takes his honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So we see that the Holy Spirit chooses elders, God the Father chooses elders, and then very powerfully and incredibly, we see Jesus call the first elder, Peter. Now, it's kind of a, mo uh, a moving and emotional kind of time because it's at the Last Supper where Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. And then he tells them that I'm going away, and then all of you will scatter. And this is when Peter says, no, Lord, I will not. Like, even if I have to go to prison or death, like, I will not fall away from you. And then Jesus tells him, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Can you imagine if Jesus were to say that to you? I mean, I'm, I'm fear and trembling just, like, coming to you and, like, talking to you, right? Can you imagine if Jesus says that to you? What an incredible, like, feeling that that would be. But then Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. Jesus himself prays for you. He shepherds us. He protects us. He guides us. And he says, when you've turned back, see, he knew that Peter was going to fall away. But when you've turned back, strengthen the brothers. He tells him a picture of eldering and shepherding by shepherding. Isn't that a beautiful thing? He says, this is going to happen. Okay, it's okay. But when I've prayed for you, so when you've turned back, strengthen the brothers. We know what happens after that. Jesus is taken, right? And the disciples do scatter. And we find Peter warming himself at a fire it's a, called a charcoal fire, started by the very people who had taken Jesus. The very people who had taken his master started a fire, and he was warming himself by that charcoal fire. And then they recognized him. He denied Jesus three times, and then the rooster crowed, and he realized what he had done. 
and he wept bitterly. And then we hear that after Jesus was crucified, Peter went back to fishing. He went back to what he knew. As was shared earlier, he thought about leaving ministry altogether. And it didn't really get him anywhere. He didn't catch anything. He's supposed to be a professional fisherman, but he didn't catch anything. And the disciples were with him because they were following him. Jesus was on the side of the, the, the shore, called out to them. Peter realized it was Jesus. He jumped in, swam through the cold, ice-cold water of the Lake of Galilee, went over, and now there was another charcoal fire. But this fire was Jesus' fire. He came, he warmed himself by Jesus, and Jesus already had fish and bread, even though he had just helped him to catch fish. And here Jesus reinstates Peter. He asks him three simple questions. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, feed my lambs. See, he speaks identity, he reinstates Peter, but he connects it to feeding the lambs of the flock. It wasn't just about Peter, but it was about all of the, the rest of the church too. Then he says again, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, tend my sheep. Then he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Isn't it a beautiful thing that as he reinstates our identity, as he speaks identity over us, he automatically calls us to one another. That that's why you're here, right? Because each of you has a relationship with Jesus, but he also called us to be together. That as we draw closer to him, we also draw closer to one another and the elders that he's put over us to care for us, to tend us, to be a part of his shepherding and guidance. So then that's what elders do, right? They care and lead the church of Christ. They guard, they guide, and they govern. Three simple things, right? They're called to guard the church, they're called to guide the church, and they're called to govern the church. So we're going to read a quick kind of verse that's going to kind of highlight this. But when we talk about guarding, it's not just Satan who's asking to sift. There is continual attack that the enemy has to the church, and we're going to see that here. So Paul, talking to the elders of the church of Ephesus in chapter 20, verse 28 to 31, it's, it'll be behind me, um, but I'll just read it to you. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in amongst you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with my tears. He knelt down and prayed with them, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. Isn't it remarkable how similar this is to what Jesus told Peter? He said, I will leave, you won't see my face again, and fierce wolves will come and attack the flock. Right? So similar. And then he says that 
that people will come and twist and try to draw people away, try to divide the church, try to attack the church. Haven't we seen that? If you think about churches that maybe we've heard of, maybe we've seen it on the news, maybe we've heard it from friends, this controversy or that controversy, people twisting things or turning things, people causing division, people attacking. The elders are there to try to protect the church, but they also come under attack. They can't do this on their own. So the elders need accountability with themselves, with an apostolic team, but they also need you to pray for them, to help them, to support them, to help them and their families as much as you can because you benefit from that. Because a church that's not protected is vulnerable and there's too much at stake. See, in this very church, people are going to be saved and are going to know the truth of Jesus Christ. In this very church, maybe where you're sitting right now, people will be delivered and healed of sicknesses that they've been carrying for far too long. In this very church, people will be knit together in family and to know what it's like to belong. Maybe where you are right now. Isn't it beautiful that in that stained glass window right behind you, you see Jesus, the good shepherd, shepherding his flock. <clears throat> Elders also guide. They guide, they are called to draw close to Jesus, to hear from him, to set the vision and the direction of the church, to lead where God would lead, to go where he would go, to bring you into that destiny so that you could see the fullness of the call that he has placed on this church. He has also called them to govern, to bring correction with love, to lead with humility and tenderness, because they are also beset with weakness, as we've seen. Now, this church, this Ephesian church, was actually very similar to the church you're sitting in right now. It was in a church with a lot of travel and trade, very cosmopolitan. People from all over the world were in that city, just like they are in Chicago. In fact, people would kind of move and shift and come and go and in a lot of different places. They had apostles coming in and speaking into the life of the church, and there was relationships. And you saw this Ephesian church. When Paul left, then was led by John the apostle, the one who loved Jesus, right? Like his gospel is filled with the love of Jesus. And you could see that love dripping in these verses where the people were like filled with such love and tenderness for one another that they wept that they wouldn't see Paul again. But yet this church... When Paul was taken away and when John was taken away, we see how Jesus spoke to this church in Revelation 2. Jesus says to the church, um, oh, actually, let me just pull it up. I don't want to butcher this. <clears throat> he said, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, right? So they learned the guarding, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Isn't that amazing? This church that had such love for one another, such love for Paul, was led by the apostle that like, loved Jesus so much, 
then forgot the love they had at first. Leadership matters. Eldership matters. That whatever eldership they had, stopped guiding and governing that love, stopped creating a space for that love for the church. And Jesus said, think about the heights from which you've fallen. So here's a juicy story number one, okay? Hugh and Vanessa, we, were, we served on eldership t- together. And um, Liam has been asking me, he's like, come on, there have to be some embarrassing stories that dad and mom have on the eldership. And, and I was like thinking, I was like, okay, maybe there's a, no, that wasn't very embarrassing. Okay, what about this? No, that, that wasn't very embarrassing either. And um, actually, you know what? The key stories that I remember are when we were trying to make a decision as an eldership team. I'd be like, should we do this or should we do that? Or what about this? And we'd be praying together. And without fail, either Hugh or Vanessa, with tears in their eyes, would say, but what about the people? What about the people? Will people be saved? Have some water. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Just got some sand in my eyes, you know. It's uh it's kinda is it dusty in here? Or maybe that's that's what it was. Yeah. It's dusty, right? Toby, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. But um that was an impact that they installed upon me. Um and I know that they still do that. <clears throat> you know, they're here maybe cracking jokes, laughing, making everyone feel comfortable. And that's probably what you see, like, about them. But I know that they haven't changed. They pray with tears for all of you. Okay, so how do we work with that eldership? Well, let's talk about the first elder. Peter, right? Let's have a brief story of Peter. So Peter was that guy that was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and he saw Jesus like in his transfigured form with Moses and Elijah, and he said, should we build like three tents for you guys? And the Bible literally says Peter had no idea what he was saying. He had no idea what he was talking about. Peter was that guy who would always be putting his foot in his mouth, always. He couldn't help himself. He would just say whatever he thought, and it was always, often the wrong thing. Often. Mostly it was the wrong thing. Remember, remember that time when um, Jesus was walking, and the woman who had the issue of bleeding, like, touched his garment, and he felt power come out from him, and she was instantly healed, though she had suffered under the care of many physicians? Um, Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? And Peter, instead of being like, wait, what, what happened? Yes, Lord, who did touch you? Is actually like... Lord, what do you mean? There are people crowding everywhere. Of course, what are you saying? Who's touching you? Everyone's touching you. What, I'm, tr- I'm on crowd control. Like, what are you talking about, you know? He wasn't very gracious. He wasn't very, like, understanding. He wasn't, like, picking up on that cue. He was, like, totally tone deaf. He was like, everyone's touching you. What are you talking about, you know? Remember that time when, when Jesus was, like, 
really struggling with this idea of like sacrificing his life, right? And he wouldn't tell people, even including his disciples, what was about to happen. And the first time he shares this thing that his burden he had been carrying, right, that he knew that he was going to have to do this, he first, the first time he shares with them that I'm going to have to suffer and die and, um, for the sins of the world. What does Peter do? He rebukes Jesus. He rebuked Jesus? Like, that's what you think? To, that's the first impulse that you have? It's to be like, no, Jesus, you are not going to do that. Because clearly I'm the one calling the shots here. You're not going to do this. And Jesus called him. He was like, get behind me, Satan. Why are you trying to stand in the way of what I'm called to do? Like, he just, like, that's not a safe space. Jesus just was like, okay, I can finally tell you. And Peter's like, no, what you're feeling is completely wrong. I'll tell you what to do, you know. He's like, what's like, typical guy, right? Like, typical guy, man. Like, just says whatever he thinks. He was like, no, this is how you should be feeling, right? This is what my, Sheetal broke me of this early in our marriage. He's like, I will fix this, Sheetal. I will fix this. And she was like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> but but that's, that's where Peter, Peter was coming from, right? But yet... Despite that and despite denying Jesus three times, Jesus still called Peter. Full of his weakness, full of his mistakes, full of his pride, his problems submitting to authority, his problems with authority, his problems with leadership, his stubbornness, his say the first thing that comes, his lack of filter. Despite all of those things, he still called Peter to be an elder. And that's why Peter, when he writes in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, like it jumps off the page understanding that context. So Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. I can imagine his initial impulse was to be domineering, but was changed. But being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he continues on in uh, verse 8 to 10. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Isn't that amazing? So Peter, who was himself sifted by Satan says, your adversary, the enemy, is a, like a prowling lion looking for someone to de devour. But he says, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Just as Jesus spoke gently to Peter, just as he restored him, confirmed him, built him up, he will to you as well. And he does also to the under-shepherds he've put over you. See, the threat is real. Not only is Satan trying to sift, fierce wolves are coming, as Paul talked about, prowling lion, like Peter talks about, 
there is a threat to the church. The enemy would want nothing more than for the church to stumble and fall, to be a laughingstock to this world, to not step into the fullness that God has. But as we submit to leadership, as we submit to one another with all humility, on that foundation, God can move powerfully in our midst. You know, as I was, as I was praying for you guys today, I was just struck by my own hang-ups that I'd come, come in with. Those kind of thoughts about leadership and suspicion and things of that nature. Maybe you've been hurt by leadership in churches before. Maybe you've seen how leadership has gone wrong and you're kind of carrying that baggage here today. Let today be the day that you're free of it. Because where you're going, you can't take that with you. Maybe those stories that you've heard, maybe you haven't been hurt personally, but you've taken offense, a secondary offense, by someone else that's been hurt. And you're suspicious, and you're like, you know, I don't know, like, we can all fall. You're right, we all can fall. But leaders weren't chosen because they're perfect. They're chosen despite their imperfections. But let us follow our leaders as they follow Christ. Jesus said, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But maybe the opposite is true too. Maybe if we support the under-shepherds and have a healthy, loving environment, maybe the sheep flourish and thrive. Maybe we can step into the fullness of the spirit moving in our midst. Maybe we can experience that healing, that deliverance, those salvations that we hunger and thirst for because Jesus hungers and thirsts for the same thing for us. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.